Hello, and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I'm Carl from selfsufficienthub.com, and I'm here to talk about all things self-sufficiency, all things homesteading, and about how we can reduce the gap between our consumption and our production. Sustainability and food security matters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 379 of the Self-Sufficient Hub podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. Today, I'm speaking with, well, I'm genuinely really, really excited to be having this conversation, and I'm really excited to be having it with the person I'm having it with, because today I'm talking to someone who will be familiar to a lot of you guys, if you're on the Facebook group or if you read the comments on YouTube. It's Shannon Ward, longtime supporter and patron of the show. And we're going to be talking about all sorts of issues around the ethics of keeping hens, keeping hens in our garden for eggs. So welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you for having me. Well, absolute pleasure, mate. I'm, I'm genuinely really looking forward to it. And the genesis of this conversation is basically you sent me a a bit of a a bit of a text a long question a bit of a novel and, yeah a bit of a bit of a novel <laughs> that about <tends> be, yeah. <laughs> on, on the basically the, the the ethics of keeping chickens so and i said well you know what this would be a fantastic episode of the show so let's record this conversation yeah no that's a, that's a brilliant um i've sort of been stumbling upon these questions for a while now um and i, I think um there's been a bit of a catalyst um, for <laughs> further consideration and probably more immediate consideration, um, I, if you don't, I'll probably just go into, you know, you go for why, it. you know, someone, um, so basically small, small spaces and small gardening, it sort of limits how many, um, what livestock you can have. Um, and chickens are generally a good option. Um, but they tend to, um, you know, you tend to be limited in the numbers that you can have. And that then sort of begs the question into sort of how do you rotate the, the, the sort of flock to maintain um, the egg sort of production at a sustainable level, but also balancing their needs and um, giving back to them for what they're offering. Um, but also, so I've been sort of uh, trying to work out where I sort of stand with this on a, on a sort of a very pragmatic, but also on an ethical level, because I, I tend to sometimes be too pragmatic and I, I just want to um, piece that out so that I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm uncomfortable with what I do and probably the decisions that I make, but I, I think the ethics are really important as, in this discussion. Um, and sort of what's, what's prompted this um, in a further um, sort of immediacy um, and necessity is that I've sort of been... Uh, self-sufficient in eggs for about two years ever since I um I got my first uh, few birds. Yeah. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, all of a sudden, I, I've got to add eggs to the shopping list um, and buy them from the supermarket for the first time, which just was, it was just a really odd feeling. And it sort of started to, to, to raise those questions again. Okay, so how do I, how do I make sure that I'm, I'm sort of, you know, being self-sufficient and something that I've, you know, maintained for so long, but also balancing, you know, the sort of needs and, you know, those ethical considerations of, you know, keeping chickens as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the bulk of what I want to 
talk about with you today is the sort of moral and ethical considerations. But I think we can pass out one specific element and talk about it on a more practical level first, just so that box is kind of ticked, if you like. And that's the idea of being self-sufficient in eggs on a smaller space when you can't have for example, 100 birds, which I used to have. So that, that issue just went away when you have a big, big space. And I've solved it by a combination of, of three things, really. One is the acceptance that maybe I don't need to be personally self-sufficient if I've got a bigger network. Now, I know that that's very personal. and Not everyone will have the same sort of network of brothers and parents who are also producing lots and lots of eggs. So I, I accept that that's not a solution for everyone. But the other way I've done it is by really just thinking about how many eggs I need through the year and making sure I've got that many eggs being produced and then couple that with the idea of preservation so that I'm now liming eggs. So during the spring when we're producing the most eggs we're preserving quite a lot of those now in lime and we'll be able to use them in the winter and the you know having the right numbers to give you the the eggs you need throughout the year and then couple that with the preservation is like the the biggest practical step step and then the third part of this puzzle is the ethics around how many birds can you keep and what do you do when birds become less productive when perhaps you are not able to just keep a lot of retired birds and when you don't have the ability to keep the numbers that, that you would maybe like that's the third part of the puzzle which is really where I think we'll spend most of our time today does that sound like a, a fairly good way to sort of pass out the conversation yeah, that sounds brilliant um, and I think just a good way to sort of preface any discussion is sort of um, just noting that the I don't see, and I don't think anyone, you know, sees chickens um, when they're sort of considering this. Um, if you're thinking about ethics, generally, you're 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 probably on the right track in, um, yeah. you know, coming to the right decision. But they're not they're not egg laying machines, so they're not purely there for um, their eggs. They also offer other sort of benefits and um, stuff, you know, like their manure for composting and. You know, their gentle sort of like tilling and grazing of, of um, when they free range has been really beneficial as well. Um, sure. So it's sort of, you know, I, I don't want to, they're not solely seen as a, you know, egg laying machine. Um, they're not just there for their eggs. Um, and I just, I think, you know, I think the tend, when you tend to sort of um, have sort of, you know, slightly or, you know, controversial, ethical, moral discussions, there tends to be, um, a spectrum of, you know, arguments on both ends. And then somewhere in the middle, um, you know, on either side, we sort of, you know, coming up on a compromise. But, you know, it could tend to be, uh, the conversations can be tend to be carried away by that sort of loud noise on either end. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I just want to sure. sort of make sure that, you know, I'm not coming into this conversation saying, oh, yeah, like I'm pragmatic and I'm, I'm looking at the ethics and I'm just... You know, I'm making sure that, you know, we're just clarifying that they're not just here for their eggs. They're, I do value what they bring in their life and um, also that they're, they're a living creature and they deserve, you know, dignity and respect. And, you know, how do you just go about that? You know, I think that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, for sure. There's quite a lot to unpack in just in what, just in what you've just said there, because you, first of all, you know, we are all, and I imagine most of the listeners to this show were already 
completely accept and be aware that chickens do have multiple benefits like their manure and their tilling and everything you've just mentioned and, and also for bug control. But when you've got a smaller space, they are also egg layers and you are faced with the choice of, OK, so I can have this many chickens, X number of chickens, which will deliver all of those other tertiary benefits around the idea of laying eggs. But if they're not all productive egg layers, I'm not meeting my needs in this one very specific area. So there is a, a draw, a push towards keeping only productive chickens. It comes from a very practical point of view and then the other thing completely separate to that that you mentioned I'd, I'd really like to kind of set the parameters for thinking about things like this with, with a really a couple of what I think are really great examples and, and when you say whenever you have a, a moral discussion around something of which that, that there is not necessarily a correct answer there are both both extremes of the conversation kind of can sometimes end up taking the spotlight when you read about it online and I, and I think I look at it just like deciding on what a speed limit should be or what the age for someone having a driver's license should be and what, what I mean by that is in both of these cases there probably isn't a correct answer but there are lots and lots of answers we know aren't correct so we know the speed limit shouldn't be one mile an hour and we know the speed limit shouldn't be 200 miles an hour these are things everyone can agree on we don't necessarily agree on what it is but there are lots and lots of answers we can rule out same with the age that you give someone a driver's license we know that you shouldn't have to wait until you're 80 to get a driver's license so we know we shouldn't give driver's licenses to five years old five-year-olds but is the right answer 17 16 18 well we can debate that and we can all feel differently about it but we you know there's a there's a uh, an area of movement and grey within the middle within which we can all settle on our own answers that work for us. And you said the, the words uh, verbatim, you said, I'm trying to figure out where I stand. And I think that is important. I think that's important for everyone. And, and that's what we're going to sort of talk about today is the idea of how we can go about figuring out where we stand. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I, I tend to approach things based on um, very much a pragmatic, but also just a values sort of focus um, and just figuring out where I said is so important. Um, and sort of something else that you sort of said was um, just then was that, you know, the smaller spaces and keeping chickens in them, um, it sort of forces those, always considerations about how do you, how do you, you know, balance sort of, well, I'm just going to just have, uh, productive birds and they're going to be laying and that's that's all I'm going to keep or you know how do you balance that um, because it I would love to um, sort of have a set up like I, I think um, like you used to um, on the um, on your old property mm -hmm. where you sort of had hundreds of birds and most of them were also um, you know ex-battery hens which you had you know yeah had saved and, and they're given a new life and they could you know just roam and retire and you know, pass on naturally, um, or whatever, whatever it was, right? Yeah. And so that that's something that is completely ideal for me, but just something that's completely not possible. Um, mm -hmm. So it's 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 really sort of um, it's interesting in a way because you know I do, you know I do sort of favour that 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 approach that sort of um, you know keeping them around and having just you know having them live on um, until you know life you know and nature takes its course or you know, 
yeah. whatever it is, but it sort of forces you to think about these things, and it, and it sort of it does become a bit. Um, it can what well, can become a bit uncomfortable because you're considering um, some quite, um, you know, if you if you don't really know sort of how to approach it, you, you you're considering some pretty uh, what could be severe consequences. Um, you know, um, so it's yeah. sort of yeah. Well, well, I think to to summarise my position on it, I think I take the same view as I do insofar as the ethics and morality of it. I take the same view with my chickens. You know, when it comes to the ultimate bottom line and the box within within which I make all my decisions, it's about a, a net positive life. And that is the same exact same decision that I make if I'm raising animals for meat. My goal, and it's something I've spoken about before, you won't be unfamiliar with it, Shannon, is to give my animals a net positive life. And that is if I'm if I was raising the pigs that we raised for meat, if they had the choice between the nine months of life that I'd gave them and no life at all, you know, what would they choose? Assuming they were self-aware and able to make such a decision and, and we'll never know the answer, which is where we get into that gray area of, we have to work out what we believe to be best. But, you know, I believe that the pigs that I raised would have chosen to have had that amazing existence for the time that it was available to them because the other option was no existence at all. And if we're talking for just one specific example about saving battery hens if i'm to save a battery hen they can still be really really productive for two years or so after they're finished their commercial laying and i think the two years that i could give them would be extremely net positive for them versus the other option which is just to be be slaughtered there and then and i think that's the same whether we're talking ex-battery hens or whether we're talking breeding our own hens and only keeping them while they're productive or buying hens and only keeping them while they're productive i think i can still make the same claim that i'm giving them a net positive life now of course there are counter arguments to this and i hear them when i have conversations as i had one on the show with a very staunch vegan who was very happy to talk to me about it but the the point of view that he was trying to make is yes, but surely it would be better not to slaughter them at all and just let them live forever. But that was never an option for me. And that's what it has to come down to for yourself. You know, what's the, what's the main driver behind you keeping chickens? And if the main driver behind you keeping chickens is that they're a productive member of your, of your household, that they are providing you eggs, then the choice isn't between, letting them live forever and not letting them live forever. The choice is between letting them live while they're productive versus not having them live at your property at all. And I think we have to be honest about that. And if that is the choice that we're making, then for me, the moral and ethical choice is to give them that amazing life while we have them. And I personally don't feel that there's any guilt involved in doing that because what they are getting what we what i personally am giving to the the net existence of chickens on this planet is a positive not a negative does that make sense yeah no i I think that that makes total sense and i think um i'm familiar um with the way you sort of approach you know any sort of livestock that you raise because that that sort of point of views helped me to sort of um you know, because I, I definitely eat meat and I 
I'm only sort of only, only new to my journey of sort of you know self sufficiency, you know, raising animals, mm-hmm. um, and you know the idea that you know I do want to you know if I want to be eating meat, I sort of probably need to be comfortable with processing it and doing these things. And um, you know, I've been I think we've had discussions on uh, sort of like YouTube and um, you know, over email even I think over just of this sort of net positive uh, yeah. sort of view. Um, and that definitely that definitely helps um, to sort of gauge this conversation. And I think if I look at um, the environment that my uh, flock has at, uh, at home, um, they've got quite a, a net positive life from my standpoint. So not from, you know, anything that we don't know, but from what I can provide them. Yeah. Um, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm fulfilling, you know, so many more than what they need. Um, so I, I'm happy that they're, they're happy. Um, I think one, one sort of segue I, I'd like to jump in from here is, so if they're, if they're sort of, you know, if I was, you know, I've, I've valued, you know, I've clearly value that they're, they're productive um, and they're laying eggs and they're contributing in that way. Um, once that, that, once that sort of dot, like sort of, um, they sort of start becoming less productive or are now unproductive. Do you think um, it's ethical and in regards to that net positive life to then um, sort of rehome them as um, as a pet? You know, because people, um, I, I'm not sure if it's again. I'm quite um, without being <laughs> without being um, rude to myself. I'm quite ignorant um, to different things about around the world um not through um lack of interest just through lack of um uh being aware of that being a thing um that's just kind of how my brain works but yeah, yeah. people tend to um in australia at least we, we we see it you know i see it on facebook um people keep chickens and they're they're doing all these you know funny things and they're wearing clothes and um, <laughs> keeping them inside, and they're you know they're all these yeah, yeah. things which I just wouldn't consider because I don't, I don't, I've never considered um, the chickens as pets. I've considered them more as um, employees. You know, yeah. Like yeah, I, yeah, I look after them really well. You know, I, I pay them really well, and they do a job for me. Um, yeah, and I still care about them in that way, um, but I don't like they're not like my dogs. You know, yeah, my yeah. dogs are a different level. They come inside. I, unfortunately, I'm not gonna you know, have a crate inside for a, for a chicken um, with toys. And I, it's just not something <laughs> I'll ever, I'll ever come to. And if I do, I think, um, I think I'll need to um, readjust or re, <laughs> you know, question maybe, but yeah, yeah. that's something that I've, I've considered is maybe, okay. Um, you know, is rehoming uh, something that maybe is a better option. Um, you know, is that something that, you know, I've sort I... of had discussions with people as well, because maybe that upsets, uh, the chicken as well, um, and that affects their net positive life. You know. Well, well, I think I think the the main issue is just one of supply and demand. I think if you can rehome your hens after they're less productive, then fantastic. And if they can go to a great home, then so much the better. But I think, and it's not something I've ever looked into. I won't lie, um, but I, I imagine that there would be a problem with supply and demand because there is just so many for want of a better term, spent hens that could be rehomed. And I think generally people looking for 
pet chickens for that purpose would be going to here in the UK, the British Hen Welfare Trust, who rehome all of the battery hens, which is, you know, where you can get your your used battery hens. Now, I, I, that's not to say it's impossible. Absolutely not. And it's worth putting a little bit of effort into if you're able. But it's not something I really can speak to because it's not something I've ever thought about or considered. But, you know, obviously, it seems obvious anyway to me that if you can do that, then great. So much so much the better the only thing i I would say is i I wouldn't worry about the actual rehoming process being too stressful for the hen versus the equivalent because i'm you know just like any pet that moves from house to house or just like us you know there's a period of stress when we go through change and then it's all okay again afterwards isn't it that's how i would look at that it certainly wouldn't be a factor in my consideration i for sure and it's just it's something that um, I've discussed with you know different people, and I just—it's an interesting um, sort of you know a, a view, and I think there's again it's an ethical moral discussion where people will fall out on different sides and come to different decisions, which is all part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I do appreciate that that supply and demand, and I think that's sort of how I thought about it is that I'd I'd um you know, put it out there and see if it sort of um, sure. got taken up. And if, if it didn't, I'd have to, you know, consider other sort of options. Yeah. And, and here, I mean, we tend to, even the X layers now, we didn't always, but now we've taken to the idea that they will ultimately be for the freezer. And, you know, the, the, they're not going to be the sort of birds that you're able to cook like a roast dinner with, but you can slow cook them in some liquid and basically make pulled chicken and use that for things like chilies and tacos and that kind of thing. So, you know, they're ultimately going to find a use in the household, even after their demise, even if they're older birds, that's how we're probably going to address the issue going forward. But having said that, you know, it's also a family decision and some of ours are 100% pets. All of the peakins that we keep, which provide us with probably 40% of our eggs, they are pets, 100% pets, and they will all get to live out their lives as pets because that's what they're here for. And the eggs are just a side benefit, but peakins are a slightly different thing for our house because they're my wife's birds and you know, you're able to keep quite a few of them in a small space because they're such a small bird, the Peking bantams that we have. Yeah, yeah. And that, that makes sense. Um, I just, I, I, I have definitely considered that um, that freezer option. I just need to work out how to sort of um, shrink wrap it in a, a supermarket um, disguise, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I haven't worked out. I, I've, I've slowly, I think, I think we've had discussions about this um, around sort of, you know, family being, mm-hmm. you know, comfortable with, with that sort of decision. And we're slowly coming around to it. And we have sort of, um, I've spoken to my partner about that and sort of something we have considered. Um, and it sort of, um, it sort of, it brings up um, some other considerations that, I mean, I'm having personally because um, I've got, currently got sort of five, uh, you know, Isa Browns or hot, like sort of hybrid, um, eyes of browns um, and one leghorn and you mentioned sort of the the pekins as pets and I sort of think well that that leghorn that I've got actually does have a name and she she likes to jump the the, the fence no one else no, no one else can um 
fly over the the sort of poultry uh, netting fence that I have. Uh-huh. Um, but she does. She 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 flies up onto the top of it, swings around, and then jumps off, and then goes and has a wander and um, waits for me at the back door every morning. Um, so <laughs> so there is that consideration as well. But um, that sort of um, prompts another thought that sort of you know some of the birds, some of the other birds are um, what I think might be more of a Rhode Island red cross i've got a, i've got a varying uh size of bird in my flock mm-hmm. which what i've been told are eyes of browns but obviously what's a true eyes of brown probably not what i've got in my backyard um sure <laughs> um so i, I there's a couple as definitely a few bigger birds which which are really um i've definitely leaning towards they're, they're looking more like a meat bird compared to the the, the smaller you know, sort of more traditional egg-laying birds. Yeah. Um, and so there's been some, you know, despite, you know, I mentioned earlier, despite, um, you know, having so much space and roosting space and laying egg-laying, like food and water, all the, everything they could possibly want, um, there still has been, um, you know, some continuous sort of uh, bullying, I guess you'd call it. From some from, from a, some of these bigger birds, especially one, and I think <laughs> that one sort of again it was another prompt of a discussion with my partners. So, okay, this one's sort of becoming a problem to the others as well. Um, so, how do we deal with that? You know, and balance these needs as well. It, it becomes an interesting discussion because obviously you have a, a pecking order that's that's natural for chickens. Um, the the leghorn I spoke about. Um, is high high up in this um, uh, pecking order, um, and you can tell that by the way she interacts with the other birds and she yeah. eats, the, eats the food and everything else. Um, but she doesn't um, she doesn't engage in any of the bullying behaviours. She doesn't get bullied either. Um, so that's 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 incredibly interesting. But then you've got sort of the others where they sort of um, are less. Uh, less inclined to sort of, you know, get along and then settle into that hierarchy, even though I think it's probably established, you know, there's some problems within the flock, I think, which, again, sort of, it's another consideration that I'm having in regards to... Culling. Um, you know, culling, my, and, you know, how do I rotate my flock? And also, you know, it's sort of, it, it's, I've, had sort of some thoughts about, you know, keeping eyes of browns and the ethics around that sort of specific specific um, breed of bird as well. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it creates, again, it's sort of, <laughs> it's sort of, um, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, you know, that you sort of go down. Um, and I find, I just, and I don't know, this is just my experience that uh, those the eyes of browns that I have had, um tend to be less resilient and or they show less resilience to uh, anything from, you know, weather to, uh, you know, if a neighbourhood cat was to come along or something. Um, so there's more resilience from this one leghorn. Um, she's in, less inclined to engage in bullying behaviour from what I can see um, and she doesn't get bullied. I just, it's sort of created some uh, some further questions around or well, whether this um, 
you know, outside of the other reasons of sort of keeping eyes of Browns and the ethics around that, whether this is um, sort of a, a trait of a, a particular bird and whether dual purpose is, uh, is better off as yeah. an alternative, you know. Yeah. yeah, well, I think my experience with keeping eyes of Browns has been different to yours because we, we certainly haven't noticed any particularly bullying behavior or any kind of frailties in the birds themselves, I have to say. And it might just be a case that you, Shannon, need to find the breeder bird that works perfectly well for your garden, your space, your climate, your environment. And it might be that they're not perfect for you. But I haven't actually noticed any of the the sort of downsides that you seem to be suffering with, particularly with that breed. So it could just be that you're comparing them to a particularly happy leghorn (laughs) you know it it could be that or it it could be that you know where you are you might be better suited to a a different breed of hen but i have to say that from my limited personal experience that the isa browns haven't really exhibited any of the downsides that you're struggling with well that's just that's really interesting and i think you know it's it's probably going to send me another, another rabbit hole you know more theories and <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sort of just exploring it. And I think, um, you know, one one option that I've, I've probably already, you know, been considering is getting rid of that sort of, that really, that larger bird who um, I think... So you, you've, actually... got one, you've got one one particularly dominant Isa Brown that's bullying most of the rest. Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah. And I think she's a lot larger like, and she appears to be more of a red like a, more of a like more trait like um a Rhode Rhode Island Island red. yeah it, yep. it, it sounds um, like you might just have an issue with one bird that yeah. might that that might solve all your problems yeah so i think um you know just it's just so uh interesting sort of you know chicken behavior can be just so interesting in how you know how it's um how it plays out and as you said in your you know, particular environment or you know the, the birds and sort of it can it could be so interesting in how they interact and sort of trying to balance that um, yeah 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 so what, just just to, yeah, to just to, to troubleshoot that particular problem what might work if you had the time the patience and the space what might work would be if you removed that hen for a period of three weeks or so and allow the rest of the flock to re-establish their pecking order and re-establish a dominance hierarchy. And then after three weeks, re- reintroduce the bird that you took out, where she would, over that period of time, she would have become the outsider. And that might, I'm not saying it definitely would, there's no hard and fast rules here, but that might solve the problem. Yeah, and that that's, that sounds like a really good, you know, solution possibly, you know, just try to, um, you know, intervene and try and change, you know, that, you know, manipulate that sort of yeah. behavior there. That sounds interesting. Yeah. And if I, I was um, going to do that, if I was going to run that experiment, what I would also do is when I remove that dominant bird, I would do everything I could to try and change the structure of the run 
on that first mm. day so that for three weeks the other birds are in as new an environment as possible so if i could i would move it if i couldn't move it i would move what was within it and i try and make it as different as possible so that when i'm reintroducing that dominant bird it would be as close as possible to it being reintroduced into a brand new environment where the other birds were very settled still yeah that sounds that sounds yeah logical yeah I, I think that would be interesting to try um i know that my luck at least with a leghorn that i tend to get stubborn birds more than mm-hmm. flexible um manipulatable ones but <laughs> we will um we will definitely I, I think i'll try that and um you know it'll see see how we see how we go um and i think yeah it's just it's just such a interesting world you know, yeah, yeah. and how they behave and the ethics around keeping them and, you know, balancing everything. Yeah. And another way of, so just to sort of sidetrack a bit and go back to the overarching issue of, of ethics that we kind of opened up with, I, I wanted to mention some of the, some of the ways in which I've helped, have helped me to come to the conclusions that I have, have rested on, at least for now. And there's there's actually a, a moral philosopher from your neck of the woods uh, from Melbourne, Peter Singer. Are you familiar with him? Yep. Don't know. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know how familiar you are with his work, but his work on um, ethical altruism is quite yep. famous. Yep. So he, he makes the case that, for example, if you know i'm spending i don't know how much on on netflix a month what is it 20 20 pounds 30 pounds something like that i don't know on netflix every month and basically am i a moral monster for not taking that money and spending it on bed nets to prevent children getting malaria and that's the that's the the crux of the the moral argument insofar as the ethical altruism movement and Peter Singer very much walks the walk, as well as talks the talk. And he the the case I think he makes is uh, the the drowning child case. Have you are you familiar with that? I oh, I don't think I am. You have to. So it's a it's a chap it's a chap walking to work and he's got a nice suit on and a lovely pair of brand new 200 pound shoes and he walks past a pond within which there is a drowning child and uh, he he doesn't wade in to save the child because he doesn't want to ruin his 200 pound shoes and we we all as a as a, a a species look upon that and think well you are a moral monster while at the same time choosing not to take the money that we're spending on netflix to save a life in africa which that money could do and yeah yeah the 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 i'm not going to say it's a problem with that argument but where that argument gets really sticky is when we actually examine our lives and think well how far do we go with this you know we could all give more to effective causes that help to save lives and there's a a particular organization called give well where um, if you go on their website they'll tell you the most effective ways to spend your money per pound spent to the, the good it will do and you can see that you know for the cost of your netflix subscription and if you don't subscribe to netflix you can substitute that in this argument for you know whatever it is you are spending money on whether it's eating out once a week or whatever it might be we can take that and do some real good in the world are we the same moral monsters and uh, the case peter singer makes is that there's very little difference between the man who doesn't save the child and everyone else in the world who's just very 
blithely going around their their going about their lives spending this money on ways that it's not doing the most good and of course when we actually look at our lives we can think well that there must be a line to be drawn somewhere that you know i must be able to buy my children clothes rather than have them go around in a sackcloth in order to take that money and spend it on bed nets or whatever it might be so the, the, that's the the sort of line of argument and how i think about it and it's about where we draw that line interestingly peter singer also coined the term speciesism and that's something that you will hear quite often when you're having debates like the one we're having with a vegan who has decided that they are, you know, they've signed up fully to the idea of speciesism. And the, you know, it starts from the idea that there's there's more in common between us and another member of the, the great apes than there is between that great ape, be it a chimpanzee or whatever, and an oyster. But yet we draw the line at human and then animal everything else and yeah, so yeah. he raises he raises the argument that that's speciesism and all species should have their rights protected just like we do for humans but again it, it with this argument in my opinion it kind of falls down when you try and apply it to and i'm, I'm I, I do have a destination i'm aiming at here so bear with me but th- th- this uh, this argument kind of falls down for me when we start thinking about producing our own food and i had this i got into a very very long drawn out debate with someone on this topic on facebook a couple of years ago after i released my um ethical ethical eating podcasts when i was talking about my personal ethics of of raising meat ethically and he basically raised this argument of speciesism and you know i wouldn't kill a member of my family and eat them so and i wouldn't expect anyone else to so why would i do it with a pig and but i think this argument falls apart when we talk about producing our own food because people seem to forget the net benefits and the and also the opposite side of that coin about growing your own food versus buying it in a shop. So if we're going to invoke this totem of speciesism, well, you're going to kill countless bugs and critters driving to the store or even cycling to the store to buy eggs versus whatever sacrifices you may need to make in order to be someone who produces them in your own garden and and you can obviously extrapolate out from that to raising your own meat and and also growing your own vegetables the idea of doing that versus living a completely vegan lifestyle that also relies on you buying your food in the supermarket well the the countless the countless dead animals that are the downside of farming full stop even farming vegetables the type of food miles that are put into it the plastic packaging and all the the side effects of them don't seem to ever be accounted for when people are having this argument versus someone who's raising their own now i'm not saying that these arguments don't hold water if you're comparing it to factory farmed meat that's purchased in a supermarket I think they they hold quite a lot of weight there. But I think comparing it to someone like myself who's trying to raise as much of their own food as possible, these arguments tend to fall away in the light of the the counter arguments that I've just made. So that is, I think, and, and, and 
I don't think I'd like to think that I'm enough of a moral philosopher myself that I'm not using this to kind of justify what I already wanted to justify, if that makes sense. I'm not just coming up with reasons why my way makes sense. I think looking at it in the abstract, it would still hold water to think of it that way. Yeah, and I think um, if we're going on sort of the, the basis that, you know, with, with how I approach, you know, in the, the two the less than two years that I've been sort of doing, you know, sort of growing my own food, um, to some extent and having chickens and eggs and all that, the benefits that come of that um, just in my backyard, in my community, I think community is something is, uh, that you've touched on uh, quite a lot, especially, you know, coming into a, a smaller space and a smaller garden, um, you know, using that network. But I, I particularly, uh, you know, do like having that, that direct effect, not only on my family and having, you know, food for myself and eggs for myself, but, you know, also giving back to that that piece of ground, which was just you know clay and and dirt and rocks, um, yeah, and horrible. Um, and now that 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 piece of you know land's now got you know full of worms, just organic matter. It's just you know beautiful. You know, you know, with the chickens and they're sort of um, you know tilling the land. I've had a lot of trouble with um, a particular, a particularly nasty weed called cowdrop, and it's yeah. um. It's a, it's an absolute pest of a weed. Um, it's very uh, prickly. It'll go straight in your foot, and it really hurts. It's really annoying when it happens. <laughs> um, and it's and it spreads because it just you know one seed, one plant, and you know it's like a thousand seeds, and then so on. And they live in the soil for quite long. But you know, using the chickens to give back to that that sort of uh, lands by grazing and re, you know rebuilding that sort of topsoil, you know, making that sort of that need for that cow chop to act, act as a first aid worker um, to try and save that, you know, dead soil, which was just, you know, barely grass, just weeds. Yeah. Um, you know, giving back to that, that giving back to the land, giving food to my, to my family and myself, but also I've been able to um, give food um, directly to people, you know, who sort of need it as well. Um, I don't uh, currently, have, I haven't been, my approach has never been to, you know, sell my free-range eggs, which are absolutely, you know, beautiful. beautiful. Like, they taste brilliant. Um, and I don't sell them for $7 a carton of 12, you know, like, you know, your supermarkets will. Yeah. Um, you know, two, three bucks or, you know, whatever you can give me. You know, barter, you know, I, I start my seeds and um, toilet rolls give me some toilet rolls and have a carton of eggs. You know, that's sort of yeah, yeah. my philosophy is giving back. It doesn't, I hate that we live in a world that, you know, I need to go to work and have money to be able to live. You know, I do like sort of, you know, the modern life and, you know, technology and all this, but the idea of money sort of just really, and how reliant that we are on it just really froze me. Yeah. Um, I just found to go back and, you know, I think you've, you've done a lot, especially like, you know, your September challenge and, you know, just being able to barter, you know, I've got a carton of eggs. You want them, and you know, give me something that you know. Who you know who 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 doesn't have toilet rolls, and who doesn't just throw them out and recycling every week? Yeah. Um, but they're so useful to me, you know. Um, so that's sort of I like to be able to give back, you know, as well, but directly to sort of where where it's needed within my sort of community 
you know, um, it hasn't been too widespread as yet, but that's sort of how, how I approach it is that, you know, it's a smaller scale, um, but I give back. I don't, I'm not looking to make a profit or anything. I'm just trying to, you know, give back to everything and make everything a bit more uh, harmonious. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a good very for you. challenging sort of situation, you know, especially now nowadays, but that's sort of how you approach it. Yeah, good for um, you. Yeah. And that, and that, that um, drowning uh, child story, by the way, they they do tell that in law school. Um, oh, okay. That's um, or in Australia, or in my um, time at least, they 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 use that story um, or something similar about a a baby in a pram sort of rolling into the the lake, um, and use that to distinguish between uh, you know negligence and liability and actually moral arguments. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually have heard of that. Um, that that's uh, that's um, brought up some. Um, Interesting memories. Anyway, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you have anything else on your? I think I'm just reading through the the message that you sent me that sort of was the genesis of this conversation. I think we've picked over most of it. Is there anything else that you were hoping to get to? No, I think I think that covers everything. You know, yeah. Okay. Well, I've got one last uh, one last point to to just add, and that is that. Well, not a point, a question. Who does the cooking in your house? Oh, I think I'm the better cook, but Shania probably does a bit more. Right. Because that, but... because that might be the way in with with yeah. these birds. If you if you did if you actually did the full processing yeah. and um not in a dishonest way, but just don't mention it. And cooked uh, cooked an amazing uh, like a, a chicken chili and then served it with tacos and then mentioned it afterwards maybe a day or two afterwards uh, that might actually that might actually get you over the hump I mean that's how I've done it with some of our yeah. some of our um, animals in the past that's how I got my children to try my rabbit stew a few weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> sounds good I also think it uh, it's also like. I deal with statistics and that's how my brain works. It also could be likely that I end up on the front step with a blanket <laughs> and a pillow. Um, if I did that, I'd, I'd have to really time it, you know, like, oh, we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, do, I do appreciate that. Like, I think that that would be a good approach, yeah. Or maybe even if you just cooked it for yourself and then said, here, yeah. try, a bit of, try a bit of this. Yeah, no, I think there, there will be ways in. Um, yeah. And I think we're slowly coming to that sort of, you know, middle ground of okay yeah i'm gonna start you know coming to terms with this you know yeah 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 i mean you could even i'm just thinking of, of ways to to crack that door open what you what you could do you could literally do this in full knowledge you could cook two meals identical in every way one with a shop-bought chicken one with the one that you've processed yourself serve them both at the table be completely open and honest about what you've done you have the one that you've processed yourself and say do you want to try a bit and compare and i think anyone would be hard pushed to say no i don't even want to try it thank you and that again it's just about making that first little baby step isn't it yeah yeah i totally agree i think that's that's a good idea too i am um, i will note um and I, this, will, this is on recording so uh, <laughs> for later um, you know how you like you say, and it's it's, it's common. You know, label your seeds. You you won't remember like, not later. You know. Yeah. No, 
my, when I sober my diet. So <laughs> when when I when I serve up the two bowls, can I just did I just try and remember which which bowl is which and not? Besides, I'm thinking that inevitably lying uh, unintentionally. Anyway, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. put, put, put uh, red red peppers in one, green peppers in the other, or yellow peppers yeah, yeah. in the other. There you go. <laughs> uh, that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, right. Before we go, Shannon, I've got three quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I, I think I know the answer to at least one of them. If you could only keep one animal, what would it be? Oh, chickens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you could only grow one plant, what would it be? Uh, I like corn. Yeah, corn's a pretty plant, yeah. Nice. And finally, if you could send a text message to yourself five years ago, what would you say? Oh, start gardening. Take it seriously. Um, engage with, you know, engage with things probably that you you probably think you don't like, um, and you you probably be surprised where you end up. Oh, that's a great one. That's a great yeah. one. Awesome. Well, thank you ever so much, Shannon. I've really enjoyed this, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. No, and I think I think it'll be um, good to catch up again. Um, I hope I'm interesting enough for for everyone. Um, <laughs> well, be, and I, I do I do like to think I am. Um, that that's that's the problem too. But um, well, feel free well, to let me know. Let, yeah, yeah, <laughs> let, let him know, listeners. Let him know but, on yeah, Facebook. Feedback. Is, is, he on Facebook. is he interesting? I'll start a poll. <laughs> start a poll. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it. Well, that's great. Thank you ever so much, Shannon. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. No, no worries. Thank you, Matt. This episode of the Self Sufficient Hub podcast was brought to you by our patrons. You guys are awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there's lots of ways you can do it. The easiest of which is just to like and review it wherever you get our podcasts. You can also tell somebody about it, whether that's on social media or just face to face with a friend who you think might benefit from it. But however you support our podcast, we really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to become a patron, please consider doing so by going to patreon.com forward slash self-sufficient hub. However you support the podcast, it's listeners like you that make all of this possible. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I'll speak to you really soon.